Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. Does anybody remember the tagline for the title? By any means necessary. Let's do it all together. By any means necessary. Get people to Jesus. So we're going to continue in that line of thought, and we're going to go in our Bible to Mark chapter 9. So go ahead and get out your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 9, open the app in your phone, open it up to Mark chapter 9, or uh, you're invited to read it with us off the screen here. Uh, Once you find Mark chapter 9, verse 14 in your Bible, please stand up. We're going to Read the Bible aloud all together as a family in concert. So I think that'll be fun. What do you guys think? So we're going to read a lot of Scripture. Um, Shocker, right? We tend to do that every Sunday here. But we're going to go to Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, all the way to uh, verse 29. It's it's really good. Are you ready? Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Isn't that the appropriate response to seeing Jesus? Amazement, darting towards him, gathering around the person of Jesus. When he steps into the room, like he just did in worship, amazement hits the atmosphere. And we all rush to the feet of Jesus, and we're like, you are the reason that we are here. We found you. We came to church for you. Amen? That's the appropriate response. Uh, Let's pick up at verse 16. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him. You could imagine he kind of breaks through the noise of the gathering And he says, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, and help us. How many of you guys know that if your child is in this situation, you are not only asking Jesus to have compassion on the boy, you're asking Jesus to have compassion on the family because this is affecting everybody. Jesus, have mercy on us, right? And so verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. Now, see, the Bible's showing us that it's actually possible for a believer to have faith and 
little faith all at the exact same time. Sometimes we're in a position where we're like, I got faith. And then, you know, the next day you're like, but wait, I don't think I have any faith. And then you're leaving church and you're like, I got all the faith. And then the following Thursday, you're like, I ain't got no faith. I know the enemy tries to lie to us and tell us that little faith is no faith, but that's a lie because Jesus can do a whole lot with just a little bit. Just a few fish will suffice to feed a family of 5,000 people. Just a few loaves of bread will suffice to cover about 4,000 adults in one conference. Jesus can do a whole lot with a little bit. He is in the business of blessing broken things. <laughs> That's your king right there. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Let's go. <laughs> I got the joy, I got the joy, I got the joy. Verse 26, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out but by anything but prayer. Now let's read that last verse right there in the uh, King James. The Bible says this, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and, our favorite word, fasting. It's so interesting. We're like, we want more power. <laughs> Lord's like, pray and fast. I don't know if I want it that bad. <laughs> keys. So today, we're going to talk from the topic of disciples that drive out demons, all right? So the title of the message today is Disciples That Drive Out Demons. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the authority that you've placed upon our lives as believers. We stand before you today as your children, sons and daughters, knowing that only you are able to save. Only you are able to heal, and only you are able to deliver. And so we say as a congregation in your sanctuary, we put our full faith in you, King Jesus. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for the word today. Anoint us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Unlock something in us today, God. Transform our minds so that we might be more prepared to do all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said Look at your neighbor on your way to your seat. Say, drive them out. <laughs> drive them out. Man, what a word. That, that, that's a whole word right there. Uh, I don't know about you, but as a preacher and as a pastor, you approach pass passages like this with a certain degree of fear and trembling because it, I'll be honest, it takes a little internal fortitude from me, just testifying, uh, to tackle the subject 
of demonology and deliverance, which, by the way, this is not going to be a full-on demonology study. If you guys are interested in that, maybe we can set up a master class and just call it demons. It'd be packed in here. It'd be packed. It'd be packed. Everybody be ready for that one, right? That master class. We might have to do that at some point. This is not a full-on demonology teaching, but we are going to talk just a little bit uh, about deliverance. I'm going to broach that subject, and so I'm going to ask that all of us just, you know, prepare our hearts because this one might get a little thick for a minute. You okay with it? Okay. So let's look at the context of what is happening in this moment. So what you're seeing just previously is the story that we all know about called the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? The Mount of Transfiguration took place with Jesus and three of his disciples. We may refer to them as his homeboys, his inner circle, his VIP people, the A-team. I would call them his intimates. In a sense, you might call them his favorites, but he has three BFFs. Uh, They are James, they are John, and and they are Peter. And uh, Peter, James, and John, they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus They see the glory of God, and they hear an audible voice, which is the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, listen to him. You see that these three disciples are with Jesus in other instances. You also see them going up into the upper room and uh, witnessing Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's when he put everybody out of the room that was mocking his authority and brought his disciples into the room uh, that were full of trust and faith that God could do what he said he could do. Uh, You'll also see another occasion in which the three disciples are with Jesus, and that's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which would suggest to me your BFFs are not just the people who are with you in your high points. It's not just the people who are with you on the Mount of Transfiguration because anybody can have a BFF when it's all glory. But these three, see, they walked with Jesus And they were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever his soul was beyond agony and despair and he was actually sweating drops of blood. So it was these three men who were with Jesus on the mount whenever Jesus said, okay, the experience is over. Let's go down the mount and let's rejoin with the other nine disciples. Now, the other nine disciples, they had gotten themselves into a little bit of a predicament here because you have a father who is sincerely looking for Christ, the King, Jesus, so that his boy who has been plagued by a demon that has been throwing him into fire and throwing him into water as to destroy him might be supernaturally, miraculously touched, delivered, and healed by the person of Jesus. And rather than find Christ, he finds his disciples. I think that's the way it goes a lot of times, isn't it? People come looking for Jesus and they just find people. (laughs) So they, they, they get to the disciples. The disciples attempt to cast the demon out of the boy uh, per the father's confession, but unfortunately, nothing happens. Nothing supernatural takes place except more manifestations of the boy who's possessed by the demon. So the religious people that are in attendance in the crowd jump on the opportunity to start mocking the believers. I'd have to think that they're quoting scripture, that they're debating doctrines, that they're arguing theological points, and there's probably some of what they are saying that they're not wrong. 
And they're, they're, they're shouting at the disciples, and the disciples are shouting back at the religious people, and they're saying, see, I told you the name of Jesus had no authority. He's just a regular dude. He's just Joseph and Mary's boy. He's just a carpenter. There, he is not the Messiah. No, he is the Messiah. He told us that we had the authority to drive out demons. This is the word of God. This is the will of Jesus, and we know that we can do this because we've done it before. You ever been in that place as a disciple? You're clinging to a word from God, and you're like, I know it's true, but I don't see the evidence of it. You ever been in that place before where you're like, I have witnessed testimonies. I have watched before my very own eyes as the promises of God came true, and yet I am now in this predicament in which I am seeing no fruit. You ever been there before? That's a tough spot to be in, isn't it? Especially when people start mocking you. And religious people start arguing with you. See, I knew you couldn't pull that off. So the disciples had to be in a pretty tough spot, but also it had to have been a mind-bending experience for them themselves because if you flip back just three chapters previous to Mark chapter 6, you'll see that Jesus called the 12 together, and what does he do? He gives them authority. He says, go out two by two, and he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. And so what's confusing about this whole experience for the disciples is the fact that they already have a word from God. They already have testimonies. They already have eyewitness experiences in their own ministries that would juxtapose what's happening in the moment. What in the world is going on? You've given me authority to drive out demons. We've seen it happen. What's going on with this kid? Have you ever been in that place before? I want to talk to some disciples today that are interested in driving out demons. You have a word from God. You've had experiences. You know about testimonies. And yet you find yourself in a predicament also being mocked by religion. And you're dealing with the demon in your life in this moment that you just, for whatever reason, cannot seem to drive out. Am I talking to anybody in here? Well, Jesus responds a little bit later when they're having dinner. Or maybe the nine were fasting and the three that came down off the mount were eating chicken. I don't know. After this experience. But Jesus, he responds to the question of the nine, right? Because they said, Jesus, why couldn't we drive out the demon? But Jesus, notice in his response, articulates something important. He says, this kind, this kind does not come out unless you pray and you fast. This kind. How many of you guys know there are different kinds of demons? Not all demons are the same, and not all demons have the same measure of authority. Here's that part that I warned you about. You okay? There are different measures of authority in the spiritual realm. You with me still? There are angels. There are also archangels. There's God, Jesus, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, right? We know there are measures of authority in not only the heavenly realms, but also in the demonic realms. Certain demons have more authority than other demons. This is important. Because what's happening is, is that the disciples have run into a situation 
where they're trying to drive out demons that have authority that they've not encountered before. And so Jesus is giving them some insight on how to increase their own levels of spiritual power and authority. Pray and fast. Because the further you go with God, the bigger challenges that you're gonna be confronted by. I know people argue over the phrase new levels, new devils. Hey, I believe it. I'm just gonna tell you, that's my own opinion. I absolutely believe it. I think the more authority you carry in the spirit, the more of a target you have painted on your back. Are we still doing good? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm cruising slow because I'm, I'm trying to check your pulse as we go through. Are you still doing good? Okay. So what Jesus is doing is he's using the opportunity to teach them. He's showing them how to operate in spiritual warfare, how to flow in their own spiritual authority, and how to confront demons of different measures of authority, which obviously this child had a particular kind of demon, which is what Jesus says, and he calls this a a mute and a deaf demon, okay? So here's another truth I'd like to point out here. There are people, real human beings, who are actually real-time today, contemporarily, oppressed by demons, possessed by demons, and there are certain people who are physically, everybody say physically, sick as a result of spiritual, everybody say spiritual, demonic oppression. This, this, this passage is proving that, is that it's actually, be, it's actually possible to be sick in your body as a result of spiritual oppression. You with me? Because I've met people before, they're like, I don't know how to get over what it is that I'm dealing with, and it's like the words of Jesus should be ringing in our ears. This kind is not going to go out with counseling. I, I just offended somebody. A podcast ain't going to be able to cast out this demon. <laughs> A talk show ain't going to help them. Good principles ain't going to deliver them. They need actual, supernatural, miraculous healing and deliverance that could only come from one place, one person, whose name is Jesus. What this passage is showing us is that there are actually, really, truly, demonically plagued people on planet Earth, and there are people today, right now, perhaps even in this room, that are plagued by demons. I'm going to get into trouble for preaching on this topic, but I'm going after it nonetheless. Swinging away today. Plenty of people are taunted by demons. They're tempted by demons. Some people are oppressed by demons. Others are possessed by demons, and that is real. If you believe it, say, I believe it. I believe it. So that's my point, okay, in, in kicking this thing off 
is that people are plagued by demons, and people who are plagued by demons, they need help. They need real help. Unfortunately, so many of them are looking for a solution in the bottom of a pill bottle. They're looking for a solution in the bottom of a fifth of tequila. They're looking for a solution in a pornography addiction. It's it's heavy, isn't it? I get it. But it's real, and we need to be updated on the reality that what is happening in the spiritual atmosphere greatly affects what happens in the natural atmosphere. And this is why Paul is teaching his disciples. Um, I, I believe this is in, I didn't put this in my notes. I want to say it's in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but having your senses trained to discern good from evil, we need to be the type of disciples that can step into an atmosphere and interact with a person. And by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, know that what's happening with them is not going to be resolved as a result of natural treatments. This person needs deliverance. This person needs healing. This person needs supernatural breakthrough, and that can only come from one person whose name is Jesus. Those are the type of disciples that we want to be. Those are the type of disciples that the nine wanted to become, and those are the type of disciples that drive out demons, and I think they're the type of disciples that are greatly needed in this hour. You cannot counsel out a demon. You can't self-help out a a demon. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but you can listen to all the Brene Brown podcasts you want, but that that ain't gonna get you delivered. And I ain't got nothing against Brene, by the way. I just know it's popular. (laughs) All right, I better stop doing that. Um, But there are people who are plagued by demons, and I truly believe, church, that they are actively in search of help. They are actively in search of freedom. They just don't know where to go to get it. And here's the great news. In fact, it's the gospel. We, as believers, know where to send them, and that is to the person of Jesus, because only Jesus can save, only Jesus can heal, and only Jesus can deliver. So when you read this story, you might see yourself today as the boy. You might be saying, I've read the parable, that's me, I'm the boy. I've been spiritually depressed, I've been spiritually oppressed, I've been spiritually possessed, and listen, I want you to know that I know what it's like to be all three simultaneously, all right? Some of you guys know my testimony in here, but I do know what it's like to be tempted by demons. I do know what it's like to go through supernatural spiritual oppression and depression and possession. When I got saved, I got delivered of demons. Like, I I know what that is like to go through that oppression. There was a season of my life, okay, even as a Christian, where I was sleeping in the parking lot of a hospital because I was struggling so much, which I knew was oppression, and it was demonic, and I just, I did not know what to do, and that's the only place that I felt safe because I thought I was gonna constantly devolve into some form of a panic attack and not know how to take it on by myself, and so I would sleep in the parking lot of a hospital, and I would listen to David Hogan's sermons (laughs) to build my faith, and praise God, Jesus delivered me from that. 
Jesus delivered me from that. So, so I look at this passage of Scripture, and I have hope for anybody that finds themselves in the circumstance of the boy. Maybe you're not the boy in the story. Maybe you're the dad in the story. Maybe you have a kid that is demonically oppressed or possessed. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe you have a, a relative. Maybe you have a spouse. Listen, that, 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 that's absolutely a reality for some people, and here's what I know. Jesus can and wants to set them free. Jesus can and wants to set them free, and you may also see yourself as the disciple, which I'm sure many of us do. You want to drive out demons whenever it becomes necessary, but you just don't know how to do that. And we're gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. Jesus saves, Jesus heals bodies, and Jesus supernaturally delivers people from demons. Amen? It's true. That is true. That's what the Bible teaches, and it's still the same truth today. And this is why, topic of the sermon series, by any means necessary, we must get people to Jesus. We must get people to Jesus. Being disciples that drive out demons begins by getting people to Jesus by any means necessary, even when we don't know what to do to help them, we know the one who can help them. So by any means necessary, get people to Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, get people to Jesus. So here's what, I, here's what I see. The dad, he says, I come looking for you, Jesus. But what we see is that the dad actually encounters three different sets of audiences, right? So he doesn't encounter Jesus initially. The first um, audience that he encounters is actually a crowd, all right? A crowd, right? You see that in verse 14? It says, they saw a great crowd around them. And I don't know if, if big crowds were as popular 2,000 years ago as they are today, but I'd have to believe it's human nature to gravitate towards what's popular, to gravitate towards what's big, and to gravitate towards the large crowd, the gathering, and where all of the attention is flowing. But crowds within themselves have no power to save Crowds have no power to heal, and crowds have no power to cast out demons. I wonder how many people have gone on a journey looking for Jesus to receive deliverance and healing and have only found a crowd. Listen, I love church so much, and church, as great as it is, cannot save you or heal you or deliver you. Only Jesus, the head of the church, can do that. Listen, I love conferences, and as great as they are, big crowds have no power to deliver you from demons. I'm talking about events, conferences, services, even if it's a big prayer meeting. Listen, it is entirely possible to gather in Jesus' name and Jesus not be present. That's what's happening right here. Jesus is not there, and yet they are doing all this stuff in the name of Jesus, and yet the person is not there. A room filled with people in Jesus' name that have not truly invited and welcomed the person of Jesus in their midst has no power to deliver anybody because crowds are not powerful. Jesus is. The only thing that makes an event powerful is when Jesus shows up. That's it. That's the only thing. We can gather. We can, we can be in the cool kids club and we can look fly, and we can get fancy, and we can put up a bunch of lights, and we can blow this LED wall up six times its size. But let me tell you, none of that 
is going to change anybody's life that is plagued by the supernatural power of demons. This is important for us to know because by any means necessary, get people to Jesus. Don't just get them to a crowd. Well, I brought them to church. Well, that's not enough. They have to have a real, relational, life-giving connection to the person of God in Christ Jesus. You can't leave them at the crowd and expect that that's enough. Crowds have no power to cast out demons. No power. All right, the second audience that he encounters is the religious. Right, and I, I, I'm going to assume that this audience would have been, you know, quite intense considering the fact that they are experts in the Scripture. They're professionals in God's Word. So I might imagine them standing and screaming truths that were, in fact, true. Screaming truths, they were saying the right words, but they were doing it in the wrong spirit. You know, good doctrine, as much as I love it, as healthy as it is, and as necessary as it is, does not have the power to save, heal, deliver, or drive out demons. You can't go to an apologetics conference sit down and argue the best points theologically and expect that that somehow connects you to real supernatural power that is able to kick out demons. Get people good doctrine. Make sure they get good education. Teach them how to rightly divide the word of truth. But good doctrine does not in itself drive out demons. The only thing that drives out demons is a person, and his name is Jesus. We can argue points back and forth all day long and nobody gets saved. You can totally win an argument and lose a soul. Well, I'm right. Who cares? Did anybody get saved? No, but I was right. Well, then I think you were wrong. Like, you got people who are more connected to their own arguments than they are the compassion of Jesus for the lost. This is not about us being right. It's about us being righteous. That's what it's about, and that's where they missed it. The people who were the most scripturally prepared entirely missed the Messiah, and therefore, in their, in their error, they are seeking to, to um, defend their theological positions by making fun of the disciples who cannot drive out the demon. See, we're right, and this proves it. We're right, and this proves it. They have no power. They have no power because in and of themselves, they understand that the kingdom of God does not consist of talk but of power, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist of a presentation. A keynote is not gonna save anybody's soul. A PowerPoint presentation, no matter how flashy, no matter how good we make the graphics, no matter how much there's like, you know, funny gifs and all that, gifs or whatever they're called, like no matter how much I make you laugh, that's not gonna deliver you from demons. Like none of that is going to save your soul. <laughs> Religious arguments don't deliver people from demons. It is only Jesus that delivers people from demons. We must be people of God's word. I'm, I'm not suggesting the otherwise. We must also be people of God's spirit, but we must do more than know it. We must believe it. We must build our lives on it. We must discern the spirit of it, and we must deploy it to defeat our enemy with accuracy because that's what we see Jesus doing in the wilderness. 
How many demonically plagued people have come to a church looking for Jesus and ended up with a dry seminar? Thank you for the presentation. That was enlightening, but I am still possessed. Listen, a demon is not afraid of a good doctrinal presentation. As long as you leave them in, they're cool with you coming to church. I told you there's a point where it got. But this is very important because we're not going to counsel demons. We'll counsel people, of course. We want you to grow and mature and be healthy and and, and, and have new mindsets and framework and perspectives uh, to do better in your life and your relationships. But at the end of the day, church, we're not, you know, having a conversation with demons. We're just doing what Jesus said and rebuking them and telling them to leave and not come back again. You guys with this? Okay. So we can't stop at eloquent teaching. By any means necessary, we must get people to Jesus. Now, here's the third thing that um, the father encountered with the boy. The third thing that he encountered was doubtful disciples. All right, and that's where uh, we look at verse 18. It says, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. These were the doubtful disciples. I'd have to think that this is where Jesus just really gets fed up in this passage. Like, you got, did you guys go to the master class with Dr. Glenn and Phyllis? I think Jesus here is feeling 43 feet of anger. Right? I, I really do. I mean, Jesus, he, one of the great things about Jesus, he's emotional. You have to know that. He's a human. I know that's offensive, but he's a human. He's actually angry. I think that he's not only angry, I think he's also got like 40 feet of sadness as well. I really do. Here's why. Because he's like, I have been walking with you guys for like three years. I've been teaching you. I gave you the greatest sermon that humanity has ever heard in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. I have talked to you plainly about the authority that you have to drive out demons. You have actually been an eyewitness testimony to me driving out countless demons. Then I placed my authority on you. You drove out demons. How long do you need to walk with me to know what is possible? And he's frustrated. Unbelief breaks the heart of Jesus. Unbelief breaks the heart of Jesus. And it, it breaks his heart because we have good reason to believe the opposite that God will do what he says he will do, that Jesus can do what he says he can do, that we can do what Jesus says that we can do. And yet, whenever we walk with him for so long, we've tasted and seen, but do not confess that he is good, it breaks his heart. Because everything that he does, all that he is, and everything that he says would prove otherwise. This is why Jesus, in his Anger, I really, I really do believe he's angry. I think he was upset. Wouldn't you be? You teach your kids the same thing for three years, and it's like you leave for five minutes, and they can't get it together? How long do I got to be with you? I told you this like a thousand times, right? You ever been there? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, dude. I was, I was gone for like five minutes. 
right? So he issues this really stern rebuke. And you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta notice uh, what it is that he says because if we don't really drill into it a bit, then we'll kind of gloss over it like, eh, okay, cool, no big deal. But he says this, he says, and he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me, which, which, which you knew, it's about to, it's on. It's on. Bring him to me. So at first glance, when you read this passage, you're like, oh, okay, Jesus is giving this broad stroke, general rebuke to the whole generation. Like he is, he's rebuking the entirety of his generation by referring to the generation's ultimate sin. You know what the generation's ultimate sin is? Unbelief. Oh, faithless generation, which by the way, that is the same ultimate sin of our generation. Unbelief. Unbelief breaks the heart of Jesus. And so the, the, um, the implication here is that unbelief is the sin of this generation and you are thinking like the culture. Because Jesus is not rebuking the boy for not having enough faith. We covered that last week, right? He's he's not rebuking the boy for not having enough faith because you don't have to have faith to be healed to be healed. You never see that the man at the gatherings that's cutting himself with stones comes out of the cemetery and says, oh, look all this faith I have. You don't see that, and yet Jesus drives the demons out He's healed completely, and when people from his community witness him, he's sitting with Jesus, eating food in his right mind, and then Jesus commissions him as an evangelist and sends him out in the power and authority of his name to preach the gospel. Like, if that was today in church, we would never believe that that guy was actually delivered or healed. We would make him go through like 15 Bible studies, 14 school of ministries. He'd have to listen to 13 podcasts a day. He'd have to read 12 books before we'd let him be a greeter. And Jesus is like, you're saved, you're healed, you're delivered. You're now an evangelist. Go preach the gospel because that is what Jesus can do. Not what a crowd can do, not what religious teachers can do, not what doubtful disciples can do, but that's what Jesus can do. He can take the worst case scenario and turn them into the most anointed minister. You're trash today, tr- trash yesterday, treasure today. On, you having your worst day, you about to have your best day. In a moment. That's why we, by any means necessary, we must get people to Jesus. Oh, faithless generation. Notice, he's not rebuking the dad for not having enough faith either. The dad's like, I, I, I mean, I do believe I, I came all this way, but I also I kind of don't believe. Wonder why, wonder why he's diminished in his faith. Because he came believing that God could do great things, but he encountered doubtful disciples that could not, and now his faith has been diminished. I wonder how many people are like, I have so much faith in Jesus, and then they met a Christian, and they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know if you can do anything. I don't actually know if Jesus is that powerful. I don't know if Jesus can take care of spiritual oppression. I don't know if Jesus can actually drive out demons, because I met disciples that aren't, they're unbelieving believers. They go to church, you know, they, 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 they punch in. 
<laughs> but when demons show up, they scatter. Which is actually why I love deliverance. It's because it lets you know who's about that life. If you want to know who prays, throw a possessed person in the middle of the room. Guarantee you will find out so fast. Because people who fast will go towards them. People who don't pray will be like, I'm going to holler at y'all later. Y'all go ahead and deal with that. Listen, when the spiritual atmosphere gets scary, I watch people. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking like when it gets scary, when you're like, dude, God is here, I might die. I better repent of my sin. I mean, this atmosphere, I got the glory goosebumps, man. Like, there's something kind of weird. I watch people. I'm like, who's ducking out? Because I ain't going to ask you to pray for me when I'm going through something. Because I know you ain't really going to pray. I'm serious. I watch people who are like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go. If you're doing that, you're going to be on my list of intercessors. Because that's how I know you're really going to pray. And what's unfortunate is I, I, I noticed that usually the one like this, it's all women. And I love that. But where are the men of God at? I mean, I'm telling you the truth, man. Hell's in trouble when men of God start to rumble. When men of God will pray and men of God will fast, I'm telling you right now, families will get put back together when men of God start to pray and fast. Children will start to come home when men of God start to pray and they start to fast. Addictions will have to leave the home when men of God start to pray and they start to fast. Listen, I want to be a part of a congregation of men who would rather fast than watch football. I'm talking about a congregation of men who rather pray. So I'm going to rumble in the spirit with you, Pastor. I ain't going to play around. I don't need to go to the bar to drink some spirits. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm already tanked up. I'm already ready to go. You ain't even got to get me ready. I've been ready. You know why? Because I've been fasting. And I've been praying. See, what we, what we don't always like to talk about in regards to fasting is how fasting prepares. But fasting prepares you for demonic confrontations. That's one of the reasons why we fast. Because in the moment, you can't call it. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the moment, okay, there's, this boy's convulsing. Call a fast. Hey, man, uh, can you come back in three days? We're going to have to get our spirit right and fast. We're going to have to delete our uh, search history off our Google Chrome. We're going to have to. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm telling you, man. You, you really start talking about the reality of supernatural spiritual demons and oppression and possession. Listen, it, it separates the wheat from the chaff. Religious arguments, they can't stay in that place. You know why? Because presence eats principles for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> notice, n- notice, uh, notice that whenever Jesus came down off the mountain, the scribes didn't have anything else to say. We were fine fighting with people 
that we're standing on our argument, but we are not fine fighting with the man who walks in authority. The religious had to be quiet. Jesus didn't rebuke the, the boy. He didn't rebuke the dad, and he didn't rebuke the crowd. He didn't say, hey, you, all you people watching, the crowd didn't show up confessing any measure of faith. He didn't, he didn't rebuke. He didn't even rebuke the religious people, to be honest with you. He didn't say, hey, scribes, hey, Pharisees, I rebuke you. That was usually his MO. Like, Jesus enjoyed, I think, kind of rebuking religious people, right? Like, you see that all the time, which is why people who don't like Christians talk about that all the time. But in this instance, he rebukes his own disciples. I mean, like, he's like Christian, follower of Jesus. You are a doubting disciple. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road of this whole message. And obviously, you can tell we're going we're gonna to do a little worship. But listen, this is so important. And maybe we should take some personal inventory here. Are you a doubting disciple? Or are you a disciple that wants to drive out demons? Both are possible, but I'm telling you, you're more likely the disciple that wants to drive out demons than you are doubting. I'm not stomping on your toes today. I am telling you that the rebuke of Jesus is him staring into the eyes of people who call themselves follower of Christ, and he's saying, listen, oh, faithless generation. Why is he linking the generation to his doubting disciples? Because he is looking at the mindset of the generation that is filled with unbelief, and he is saying the mindset of the culture has infiltrated the mindset of the church. You've replaced authority with crowds. You've replaced deliverance with popularity. You've, you've replaced anointing with attractions. You've replaced supernatural power with doctrinal arguments. You've replaced the ability to drive out demons with dunking on people theologically and calling them out on social media. I think this is why Paul's like, yeah, look, I've seen your Instagram stories. All of y'all talking about, you know, how we should listen to you. Well, I'm going to come to Corinth, and I'm going to see who has supernatural power. That's literally what he does. He's like, I'm going to come and see who has actual spiritual authority. This is so indicting, isn't it? So it makes sense to me why Jesus would be sad. It makes sense to me why Jesus would be angry because he has worked so many miracles in their presence and yet they are asleep in their faith and they don't believe and that's why he rebukes and he says, look, you are thinking incorrectly. He tells them you cannot drive out the demons. You know why? Because you're thinking like this generation. You're thinking like the culture. You are not believing. The way of the world is unbelief. The way of the kingdom of Jesus is Faith, that's why Romans chapter 12, verse two, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. You know what it means to be conformed? To live in a posture and a place of unbelief. Wow. So let me ask you, are you moving more towards faith and trust in Jesus or are you moving more towards unbelief and doubt in what Jesus can do for you wow. and through you? Because here, here's the direction of the disciple that drives out demons. Here's the direction of the doubting disciple. Man, listen, I know, it, I know it's quiet. I know it's indicting. But we have to be mindful of the fact that unbelief breaks the heart of Jesus. Unbelief breaks the heart of Jesus. How sad, how terrible that we'd all walk with Jesus long enough 
to see all kinds of amazing things that he does and yet live in a place of unbelief? I don't know. You know what I love about this moment? Is that whenever the demon sees Jesus, not, not the boy, notice the, it doesn't say the boy see, sees Jesus, it says the demon sees Jesus. And when the demon sees Jesus, what happens? It convulses, right? It convulses the boy. The boy falls down on the ground and the demon begins to literally affect the boy's physical condition, right? So he's foaming at the mouth, he's gnashing at his teeth. And then instead of rebuking the demon right away, Jesus looks to the father and he says, how long has he been doing this? Listen, Jesus is not a normal physician. He's not having an intake session. How long has he been doing this? Wow. How tall is he? How much does he weigh? Okay, any medications? Uh, he's not having a normal physician's intake. How many of you guys understand that every time Jesus asks questions, he is moving into a teaching moment? And that moment was then to displace the doubt that had come to the Father as a result of not seeing the disciples drive out the demon. He was about to restore that faith. He was also about to correct the religious. And he was also about to display his greatness to the crowd by saying, how long has this been happening? Let me gather some information so that you understand the standard of your faith and where it is to be set as you watch me work this miracle because this unbelief is not tolerable any longer as long as God is in your midst. This is the beautiful thing about miracles. Miracles are, te- are, are tutors. Right? Every time you see a miracle, it should raise the standard of your faith. You no longer are allowed to retreat past that line. Nope, I believe it because I've seen it before. This miracle has taught me how to have faith, has taught me how to believe. Man. We need to finish, but... I'm just gonna show you these points real quick. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. Here's, here's disciples that drive out demons. Number one, completely depend on Jesus. Listen, no matter how powerful you are, it's not you that drives out demons, it's Jesus. So don't, don't, don't get cocky because the demons submit to you in his name. Be confident because your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life is what Jesus said. Be completely dependent upon Jesus. Jesus is the end-all, be-all. You are not You're never the hero of the story. We are not interested in your biography. We're interested in your testimony. Your biography is always about you. Your testimony is always about him. Don't brag. Testify. Number two, when Jesus showed us, shows us what God does, believe him. Believe him. Jesus sets the standard of our faith. If he says it's possible, it's possible. If he shows us it's possible, it's possible. All things are possible for one who believes. Number three, when Jesus shows us what we can do, believe him. Believe him. Jesus has plainly promised us a level of authority. Believe him. Mark 16, 15 through 18, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Everybody say, that's me. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in due tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's what Jesus has to say about you. Trust in Jesus. Jesus alone is able to do the impossible. Point number four, you'll only be as powerful as your prayer life. 
None of us will ever be more powerful than our prayer lives. Jesus clearly links spiritual power to devotion in prayer. Number five, disciples that drive out demons fast. And I sh- I'm just gonna leave it at that, plain and simple. Disciples that drive out demons fast. I know we've been talking a lot about fasting this year, but there's a reason for the reigniting of a passion to fast is because Jesus talks about the power he gives to his people as we obey him when he invites us to fast, all right? Let's stand, we're gonna pray. Listen, I, I know I've talked about a lot today. This is, this is a lot. You guys okay? Can I ask you again? You guys okay? Okay, cool. Just real quick, bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody looking around if you don't mind. If you're in the room today and you are without Jesus and you need Jesus to set you free and save you, if that's you, will you just lift your hand in here? If you are without Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus today, just lift your hand courageously. We're gonna pray with you. Is that anybody in here? I just wanna give you a moment to respond. I don't see any hands raised, so if that's you, just raise it high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I believe that today uh, you're shifting directions for so many of your disciples. And I I know today was one of those words, it's like, man, it's kind of hard to uh, digest, but Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help us. Just help us. Holy Spirit, we come before you. We say, help us, please. Help us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to digest your word and what you'd have for us. And we declare that we are disciples that drive out demons. We are a church that witnesses deliverances of all forms and expressions of demonic torment, testing, temptation, trials, of all forms and expressions of demonic oppression, demonic possession. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We declare in Jesus' name that King Jesus shall rule in his own house, that he shall drive out demons from this place, and that people would be supernaturally delivered and set free as a result of faith in him. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.